Now, I'll give you a little layout of what's coming this morning. So we've got a lot this morning. Don't worry, don't worry. We'll get there on time. but uh, we're gonna spend just a, a few minutes in a little bit of a family meeting. Every now and then it's important to have just some family pieces. And so we're gonna have a little bit of a family meeting. And I always hesitate to do this on a Sunday morning, but it's the time that we're all together. And it's important uh, that we all kind of know what's going on and some of the journey. So we're gonna have a little bit of a family meeting. And then we're gonna transition into the final week of, of uh, better decisions, fewer regrets. And I think... Uh, this week is one that will cap our series really well and one that will challenge every single one of us to take a step back from how we're making decisions and consider how we might better make decisions. And for those of us who are in the faith, we're challenged by, today we're gonna center on some words of Jesus. We're gonna be like focused on some words that Jesus gave and some instruction. And so I'm really excited the way we're gonna end this series today. Good? So that's where we're headed today. And um, the, the song that we're gonna end with this morning is just an incredible, incredible song of worship. And, and so as you can tell, I'm really excited about all the different pieces of this morning. So um, I became a part of McDowell in 2008. So 2008, Uh, was my first interaction and connection here at McDowell. I was a part of a church in Oklahoma City uh, called Crossings Community Church that had helped plant this church back in 1995. And um, when I came here, I came in probably one of the, the, the most opportune times when things were really good. It was 2008. And if you remember 2008, it was like, Uh, such a great moment financially for our country. (laughs) Everything was going well. It was like people just, everything was like roses, coming up roses, everything. And uh, I remember having a conversation with a couple of the leaders when uh, I was interviewing and then when they uh, extended an invitation for me to join the church as a lead pastor. And I remember one of them pulled me aside in the parking lot after a lunch and he said, what are you thinking? And I was like, I don't know if I should take that as like I shouldn't be entering into this. But uh, since that time, 2008, I just have to say God has... um, just over and over and over again amazed me at his faithfulness to this church body. And I just can't tell you how thankful I am that I get to be a part of the story. And uh, I realize that when I say all that, like just right now in my mind, I'm thinking some of you are like, is he leaving? I'm not leaving, I'm not going anywhere. Um, Some of you were excited, some of you were sad. (laughs) Wherever you were on that journey, I don't know, but uh, I'm not going anywhere. Uh, I, I just, as I step back and think about, um, <laughs> that was my wife who started that. Uh, I'll be here all week. Um, as I think back on the journey, um, you know, it's interesting. My first year here, I believe our budget was uh, in like right around $600,000. And uh, we were in $4.2 million of debt as a church. And if you do the math, on $600,000 income and $4.2 million of debt, uh, it was a rough place to be as a church. But what I've found over and over again is that God provides everything we need to accomplish the mission he gives us. And I want you to hear that in your life too, not just as as a church body, but it's true individually that God never calls you to something 
that he isn't going to equip you for as well by the power of his spirit and his provision. And that's been true in the life of this church again and again and again. And like I said, I, I'm, you know, looking back, I'm just so thankful that God saw it fit that I would uh, be able to, to be a part of, of this journey. I'm so grateful for it. Um, as, a, as a board, we, we spent a little bit of time this year considering where we were and where we needed to go as a church and some things that were ahead and, and some key pieces that we needed to address right now. And so one of the things that we're going to do uh, in the next uh, few months, and this is, I, I realize, a, a difficult thing to talk about on a Sunday morning because we have some new people here. It's your first time. It's tough to talk about these things when it's your first time. Um, but, but it's just the reality of where we are as a church. We're going to enter into just a short, really short capital campaign. We haven't been in a capital campaign for about five years and uh, just a couple of months. And we're going to uh, invite you to be a part of a, of a generosity campaign that will help us move to a debt-free future. We believe that God is calling us uh, to be a debt-free church so that anytime we engage financially and partner financially, 100% of those resources, they no longer go to interest, but rather they go directly into ministry, which we're incredibly excited about. We think now's the time. There's a couple of reasons for that. And rather than me sharing a lot of um, the story, I thought it would be good, and our board thought it would be good if you heard from uh, one of the, the members of the board and someone who's been here since really the very beginning. And... Uh, when, I, when I joined the team in 2008, uh, Dean Bloxham was on uh, the board of servant leaders. And uh, I didn't know Dean. You know, I had never met him until I actually was on the ground in Phoenix, in, in Scottsdale. And I got to meet him. And when, when you interview, sometimes when you interview with a team of people, you make decisions based on whether or not you want to enter into life with the people who are at the center of that organization. And I remember thinking, Dean's the kind of guy I think I would like to hang around. I don't know him really well, but he's, he's funny, and he seems honest and uh, upfront. And I, th I think I could enjoy doing life around Dean and his family. And uh, what God put together in those moments was the beginning of a friendship that has uh, become, you know, Dean's one of my best friends. And I, we get to serve together on the board, which is super exciting. And I learned a little bit about Dean's story in those early days. And I'm just going to tell you this, and then I'll turn it over. He'll share a little bit, and then we'll, we'll get into to the words of Jesus. Um, Dean and his family uh, came to McDowell early on in the history of McDowell. McDowell started in, in 95, 96. And the story that, that, I've, that I've heard again and again is that, that Dean, as he was building a business outside uh, in, in the mortgage world, that Dean came to to the church and to Don, who was the founding pastor, and he said, hey, it, it may be too late for me, I'm not sure, but I really want a, a, a faith foundation for my family, and I hope this can be that place for my family. And what Dean didn't realize is that God would get a hold of his heart in a way that he didn't see and expect would be coming, and God's transformed him into a new person and uh, none of us are, are, are perfect, right, Dean? And you would be the first to say that. You uh, and I both say it's so humbling to, to be in the positions that we are. Um, but God has transformed him, and I've loved seeing that journey that he's been on, his family. Some of his kids are here this morning, which is awesome. Uh, but Dean's going to share a little bit with us. And you may not know Dean, but he's been on the board of servant leaders a number of times. Let's welcome uh, Dean Bloxham. Love you, bud. 
I was hoping I wouldn't get teary as I shared some stories with you, and then he starts with that. And uh, I find the older I get, the more emotional I am. Thanks for indulging me today. Uh, when, when Matt and Robin came, when Matt said uh, that somebody grabbed him in the parking lot and said, what are you thinking? That was me. <laughs> uh, because it was a really rough time. Uh, it was a rough time in our church financially. And Matt and Robin had this incredible life back home. And I thought, that is nuts for you to come here and do this. Uh, and they came by faith and really changed the trajectory of our church. And uh, I'm so grateful. Matt always says he loves this church. But, man, we, we love you. <clears throat> I asked Matt uh, one big favor when he started. Uh, I came and got him. We were going to lunch one day. We were driving down Shea Boulevard. I remember like it was yesterday. And I asked Matt to do me one favor. And I said, never forget where we came from. Because I don't think you can really know where you're going if you don't know where you came from. And so I want to share some of the history of our church for a few minutes uh, to give you an idea. Uh, some of you have only known McDowell Mountain Community Church in this building. And so if you came here for your first time and you walked in here and there was this building here, you just assumed it was always here. And, but if you stop and think about how this happened, it's really incredible. Our life here, Jill and I, uh, almost a quarter of a century, which either just means we've been here a long time or we're old, but we, we raised three boys here. And now we have our grandkids coming to this church. You can't even imagine what that feels like. It's such a cool feeling. But every time I walk in here, every single time, I am still amazed that this exists. Every capital campaign we've done, I've been a part of. And if you've ever tried to raise money for nonprofits, typically if somebody says, hey, we want to raise money for this nonprofit, usually what do you do? run as far and fast as you possibly can because it's not the most fun thing to do. I will tell you, it's been the greatest gift of my life. I've had the best seat in the house for 25 years because I've got to see God over and over and over again prove to me, one, that I'm incredibly weak the name of this is by faith, but boy, I need it so badly, and he continually reminds me that he has all the provisions that we need. When we uh, started the church, when Don Doe started the church, uh, we started in a school, and when Jill and I came, we were at the high school. And we were kind of nomadic across the parking lot uh, when we were doing okay, we were in the high school. When things got tough, we'd go over to the middle school because they would charge us a little bit less. And so we would travel back and forth across the parking lot. Sometimes people would show up and there'd be a sign saying, no, we're over there. Uh, and it was funny because when we were in the high school, if you've ever been in the auditorium, it seats like 1,100 people. And we were, I don't know, around three or 400 uh, on a big day. Uh, in fact, we had a logo. We had this trailer because we had to uh, move the... Uh, all the equipment every Sunday morning. 
uh, we'd, we'd tow this trailer uh, behind this black Tahoe that we had that we just destroyed by putting signs out and towing it, and we were really hard on, the, on uh, all the equipment. But on the trailer uh, we put on, we have room, because there was like 800 open seats every single Sunday. Uh, and uh, so that first, uh, eventually, you know, we knew we wanted to be in a building, and we did start a fund, uh, a building fund. And we had just started it, and Don and I were in a uh, Bible, men's Bible study, and it had gotten over, and we started talking about the building campaign and if we would, how we would ever do it. And, and this new guy had started from, guy from Canada, Grant Sardichuk, and he had a banking and commercial real estate background. And Grant started asking me some questions. And uh, his first question was, you know, do you have the money for this? And to date, I cannot tell you why I said this, but this was my response. Money's not a problem. <laughs> and it wasn't, because we had $1,500 in the building campaign. <laughs> cannot figure out why I said that, but that's all Grant needed to hear. Oh, great. And he and some other guys started looking, and they found this piece of property right here. It's a little, was, you know, some, had some challenges, had a big wash through it. And uh, we started talking about it. We had our first capital campaign. This tiny little church. And we did this uh, pledge that people would do over a few years. I was so nervous. I'm like, we have lost our mind. We've signed a contract uh, for well over a million dollars for a piece of land, and we had $1,500. That first capital campaign, we got $1.1 million. That was my first step in being really humbled by God, going, don't worry, I have this. Timeline, give you an idea of what happened after that. Uh, we started the um, construction on the building. That's when we took on our first debt. I think the overall cost was like five and a half million dollars. And so we ended up with four point something million dollars in debt, uh, which was a terrific idea. Um, <laughs> 0708 comes. Like Matt said, I was in the mortgage business. I'm very sorry for that. Uh, we never missed a payment. But we had these covenants that we had to make these really huge paydowns. Uh, the first one was a million dollars. We were trying to figure out how to pay bills every Monday morning. We certainly didn't have a million dollars. It went on for a while, and the bank was being pretty rough on us. But they finally came and said, if you make a significant paydown of $600,000, we'll cram your loan down another million and a half. I'm not allowed to say the name of the bank, but their initials were B of A. <laughs> I don't think they believed we'd come up with that $600,000. Imagine standing up here at that time of, in our history and saying, hey, folks, all we need is 600 grand, and we're still going to be able to come to this building. But again, God showed himself. There's two stories that happened that I want to share very quickly, and I've got to wrap up. There was a gentleman in our church that was unemployed. The first time I got up and spoke and talked about this incredible opportunity we had, he came to me afterwards in tears and said, Dean, I'm so upset that we can't participate and he was in tears. And I said, dude, we got this. Take care of your family. 
Just wait till you get a job. Don't worry about it. That next Sunday, he came up to me and said, Dean, I can't do that. And he handed me a check. I thought I was such a big deal because I was, thought I was just writing this big check to help make this happen. That's the most humbling thing I've ever seen. A guy with no job participated in that. And he can drive by this church every day and know that's where his legacy is. It meant so much to me. We then went to the expansion of the church. Like go from, oh no, we're in so much trouble that we're gonna just grow it and we're gonna expand it. And we were down to a smaller amount of debt, but one family came to us and said, you know, I'm worried about this debt. How do we eventually become debt free? And they provided this line of credit for the church that paid off that debt, created new debt, uh, at a 1% interest rate. And it was a line of credit which allowed us to uh, create the expansion and do everything that we needed to do. And that's the debt now we want to pay off. And to be debt-free is one thing, but to say, well, what are you going to do with it? Like Matt said, we're going to use that money towards more ministry instead of, you know, sometimes people pay off debt and then they just keep going on like they were. Well, what's the point? And the point is uh, that um, we want to be debt-free, but we want to use that money that we're paying now towards more ministry, and we do such great things. And it's such a good feeling to know that that money will go to one great cause after another. We can stand up here and tell more stories about what we do in our ministry. But here's what we want to do. I want you to be part of the story. When I share those stories with you, know that comes from my heart. We always want to be really transparent at this church. So the first thing we want is 100% participation. We went to the board and the staff, and we said we really want the board and staff to be 100% in participation, and they did. Uh, our goal to pay off the $2.1 million is by 2026. If somebody wants to write a check right now for that, just raise your hand and I'll step down. <laughs> and we could get there. But at a minimum, every, every June we're making significant payments so by the end of 2026 we can pay it off. We're not going to do multiple campaigns, we're just going to get this done. Uh, so we went to the board and the staff, asked them for their participation. We want to make at least a half a million dollar payment by the end of June. The board and the staff came up with the first $125,000 of it. That's pretty cool. That's a great start. So when you leave today, uh, we're gonna give you one of these. Gives you a chance to put in what you, your heart puts on you, but like I said, no matter what, I don't know your personal situation. You may be a great time for you, it may be a tough one. Just participate. There's questions and answers on here that can help you with anything you have, but also uh, any board members that are here right now uh, will be in this back room right after church to help with any questions. Uh, and um, our goal is to have all donations in by May, make a nice pay down in June, and get really aggressive and get it over with. I know not, it's not the most cool and fun thing to talk about paying off debt, but would it cool, be cool to be debt free? Thank you for your attention today. I really appreciate it. God bless you guys. Love you. It's fun. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm so thankful for Dean, but really the whole board, there's a, there's a number of board members, and I'm looking at a few of them right now, so thankful for them and the ways they help lead our church uh, with some wisdom 
and just saying, hey, let's just be honest and upfront and say this is what we need to do. One of the questions you might ask is, is why now? Like, why is this important now? Um, that uh, line of credit that we, we took on, which was at, uh, is based on LIBOR, and uh, it's now SOFR, it's a changed rate, but uh, it was based on that. And so a year ago, over the last few years, we've been paying you know, 0.9% on that. Uh, it's now 5%. And so, as you can imagine, that interest rate affects our, our, our monthly payments, and uh, we just think God has uh, provided what we need, and so we just wanted to simply ask the question, would you be willing to jump in and participate with us? So, uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time on it. We just wanted to put it in front of the church, uh, pick up one of these on your way out, and uh, we'll, we'll go go forth. One of the interesting things, my, my dad and my mom, I'm so grateful that when I was growing up, my parents taught me um, this uh, principle, this old principle that's found in the Old Testament. It's called tithing. It's weird for a lot of people, but it, the idea was that you start with what God provides to you, and with the very first of what you get, you should give back to his ministry and his church and what he's doing in the world. And I'm so grateful for that. And my dad would say this, and I heard another board member say this recently, I never regret giving to the ministry of the church because it becomes a part of our future story. It does things that I never imagined that it would do. So we're talking about better questions lead to better decisions, and those better decisions keep us from fewer regrets. And as we've been walking through this series, I've realized some people, uh, myself included, every now and then there is a regret that seems to overwhelm me. Have you found yourself in that place where you're like, oh my gosh, I wish I could go back and change this? Anyone? Can I get an amen in the congregation? Uh, as I was walking through this series and what An Andy Stanley had written, one of the things that caught my attention was this, that Andy said, your regrets are only part of your story. And I want you to hear this this morning as we close this series, is that those regrets that we, we have in our life are only a part of our story. They're not the story. Your regret is not your story. It's a part of it. And he goes on to say that your past should remind you but your past, especially your regrets, does not need to define you. Come on. Your past does not need to define you. That you have choices today and decisions that you're making today that can move you in a healthy direction. It can change the, the story, the legacy of your life. It can change the relationships. Some of you maybe are in this room today and you have some difficult relationships going on. Uh, some of you are, are fighting to hold on to your marriage. I mean, there's, there's different things going on in your life. Some of you have some uh, estranged relationship with your children, for example. There's this, you know what? Your future does not have to repeat the mistakes and the regrets of your past. Your, your decisions today can just change it. And we've said this from the beginning that our decisions are determining the direction of our life, the character, who, who we are, the quality of our relationships, the ways that we interact with one another, but also our legacy, the story that will be told about each one of our lives into the future. And so often we think our decisions are, are private. And so that when, 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 when you believe that your decisions are, are private and they don't impact other people, you begin to make excuses and rationalizations like this, like, like I've made as well. Look, I'm not doing anything wrong. But as we found last week, just because it's not wrong doesn't mean it's wise. Just because it's legal 
does not mean it's the smart thing to do. And sometimes we have this tendency to, to bring things in, into a place where we think people do worse all the time. I'm gonna just do the things that I do and I'm gonna look at other people and it helps me rationalize what I'm doing even though this is a terrible mistake. It's an unwise decision. I'm not hurting anyone else. Have you ever said to yourself, I can handle it on my own? I can stop when I want to stop. And when we rationalize in that way, we're not being driven by wisdom, we're, we're being driven by selfish motives. So the, these questions that we've been wrestling with over the last few weeks, uh, there's, there's five questions with the one today. These questions are based on integrity, am I being honest with myself, legacy, what story do I wanna tell, conscience, and I call this the Holy Spirit question, is there a tension that deserves my attention in life? Is God trying to get my attention somehow? Is, is there this tension that I need to, to pay attention to? Maturity, what is the wise thing for me to, to do? And then today, I wanna, I wanna tackle this relationship question that we're gonna walk into. And this relationship question, I, I think, is, is maybe the most important one, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, okay? But regardless, even if you're someone who you're not sure about the Jesus thing, you're not sure about the God thing, I think this question could change everything as you make the major decisions in your life. And here's the question. What does love require of me? All of us, every single person in this room wants to find and experience love in our lives. Every single one of us. And here's the thing with love is that love requires, we don't want it to require anything, but love requires something of us. Uh, let, let me give you probably the, the best physical example I could give you. And you're gonna rejoice because it has nothing to do with football. <laughs> the best physical example of love that, that I know, that, that we've experienced, is the love that a mother has for her child. That physically, a mother carries a child in her womb and is physically providing life for that child. It, it's amazing when you think about it. It is self-giving. I mean, I don't know if I could get any testimonies of moms in the room who would say, it took everything I had and continues to take everything I had. <laughs> Mothers are examples of love in a way that is not self-motivated, is not selfish, but is all about giving oneself for the good of someone else. It's incredible, it's amazing. Love requires something of us. I mean, I mean, we watch movies, and I, and I thought about, you know, some different movies, and we watch these movies, and we get caught up in these love stories. You know, you know what I'm talking about, like Notting Hill. And um, I, I can name a, a lot of different stories, but we get caught up in the, like, love is this, like, fuzzy emotion, and I want to be in love. And we think it's just this beautiful picture of two people who, who just, it's like this effortless, like... <laughs> That's not life, is it? It's not life at all. 
I mean, we love to watch it in the movies because it helps us escape from the reality that love requires something of us. Have any of you been married for more than a week? Because sometimes that first week is awesome. And then you run into the, the, the realization that love requires something of us. And true love, and not romantic love, like true love is when people enter into self-giving, like unselfish uh, action for one another in a way that builds the other up. That's, that's more about the other than it is for the self. And um, in Jesus' day, there's a statement, and you can go back and look at some like ancient documents. There was this uh, statement, kind of a, a statement of wisdom that says, um, don't do to other people what you don't want them to do to you. I call it uh, the silver rule. And the idea, and you can go and, and read a little bit about this, is the idea is um, kind of hold back from, from doing things that, that you don't want other people to do to you. So it's about um, refraining from certain things. Does that make sense? Like you're holding back. Jesus takes the silver rule and turns it into the golden rule because it's a, it's a statement of action. And, and what Jesus is saying is don't just withhold what you don't want done to you, but rather do for others what you want others to do for you. So if you find yourself in a situation where you're like, man, I wish somebody would, would see that I have this need and I wish somebody would just, I, I, I don't wanna ask, but I wish somebody would see that and just provide something for me. Like I, I really need something in this moment. And what Jesus is saying is like, don't just withhold from other people, but rather actively engage by doing something for someone else that you wish someone would do for you. Isn't that interesting? It's this, it's this step of like, it, it's a great statement, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. It's an even better statement to say, do for other people what you wish they would do for you. And Jesus goes so far to say, look, if you're, if you're someone of faith, the entire Old Testament, the law and the prophets, that, that, it's basically summed up with this one thing. How awesome is that? If you loved clip notes growing up like I did, this is the best, like you're so thankful that Jesus says this kind of thing. So do to other people actively, like look. So this, this is in Matthew chapter seven where Jesus says this. So it's called the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of his most famous teachings and powerful, powerful teaching. So let's fast forward in the life of Jesus, and he's, he knows that he's getting ready to, to leave. He knows he's probably gonna be put to death. And um, he is engaging with his disciples at a, at a kind of a final meal. And at this meal, he realizes, you can kind of read between the lines a little bit, that no one, as the disciples have come in for this, this meal, what would have been customary is that someone would wash their feet. And he realizes nobody's washed their feet. And so Jesus actively gets up from the table and goes disciple to disciple to disciple and, and literally takes the place of a servant, what would have been a servant in the ancient world, and washes the feet of his disciples. So he actively does something that would have been a need in that day, washes their feet. And then as they get to the end of the meal, Jesus says this to them. So now... I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. Now, if you can imagine, like, 
what these disciples have just experienced is this rabbi, this person in a higher position than them, has basically, rather than used his position to force them to do something, he's actually stepped down in leadership, in a, in a servant leadership position to serve some of their needs. And he, and he turns around and he says, now, just as I've set this example, like this is how you should love one another. Now listen, this is a, an incredible business principle. For those of you who own businesses or in management, the idea of, of leveraging your position of power to force other people to do things, it just is not the best way to lead, but rather to use your position of power in a way to build up your employees actually builds the business much better than the other way around. And those of you who are in business, I can see some of you like are shaking your head. Well, absolutely, it's called servant leadership. There's been a lot written about servant leadership. Well, Jesus is a beautiful example of this. And he goes on to say, that for those who are in the faith, for those who are following him, the world will recognize us as his followers, not just by what we believe, but rather how we treat one another. And it's active, engaged love that is what Jesus is pointing us to. I, I heard Tim Mackey talking about this, um, and uh, I wasn't following really what t Tim was, was saying, um, and it took me a little bit of time, but do you know what a black hole is? And I, so I was reading a little bit of black, about black holes, and I have this picture of a black hole that NASA, I think it was the Hubble, uh, like put this picture together, and it's a little edited in the middle. You can tell that NASA did some work on it. But um, <laughs> they like to just say, oh, this is just a picture we took. And I'm like, ah, I don't know, NASA. <laughs> I think you have Photoshop just like we do. But what, what, they, what they say that this represents is that there's a black hole that a star um, in the galaxy was kind of traveling kind of past and it got caught up in the gravitational pull of that black hole. And so what you see, those clouds going around is this, this sun kind of being sucked into that black hole. And so I you know, had to go back to my uh, <laughs> basic science and realize, okay, so what is a black hole? And a black hole is, uh, they don't know exactly what it is, but there's so much gravitational pull, so much weight in that, that it pulls everything within it and nothing can escape that gravitational pull. Not even light can escape, and that's why it's a black hole, right? And so, in other words, everything that's kind of pulled into this black hole Anything that is kind of lost, it falls upon itself and basically is destroyed. And what Tim Mackey was saying is that love is not a black hole. In fact, it's the complete opposite. And for me, as I was thinking about this, the, the challenge is that so often I live in such a way that I'm, I'm almost like a black hole, that everything is about me. I'm at the center. And if somehow you get pulled into my gravitational pull, it's more about me than, it, than it's about you. And what Tim was trying to express was the idea that the beauty of like new life, for example, is that when a cell is formed, that a healthy cell actually multiplies itself and creates another and then continues to replicate that process, and that's what love is. Love is self-giving, and it creates something in the process and gives life to those around it. It doesn't suck life out of the things around it. It actually gives life. Does that make sense? 
Like love is not a black hole. Love is not ending the life, it's actually creating life and that's what we're called to do. And sometimes we wonder, like, how do we do that? And in 1 Corinthians, Paul gives us an example. He says, love is patient and kind. And I kind of stop right there, and I'm like, ah, no thanks. (laughs) I mean, I want you to be patient and kind with me, but I don't know that I want to do that work for you. Love is patient, and love is kind. And it's not jealous or boastful, or proud, or rude, and love is not demanding all the time its own way. It's not irritable. Love keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but it rejoices whenever the truth wins. Look, love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful, and love endures through every circumstance. This is a beautiful picture of love that is life-giving, self-giving to those around us. And man, in the last three to five years, I think so many times when the world needed love, we gave something else. And I'm talking directly to followers of Jesus right now, and I'm including myself, because we wanted to demand things of other people. And what Jesus calls us to is radically different than a way that demands my way. Jesus, though he had no reason to be arrested, laid down his life even unto death. And he didn't speak a word. Like he allowed them to to mistreat him, to beat him, and then to eventually kill him. Love is patient and kind. Uh, Andy said this, and I've, I've been, I, I love this. I wrote this down, and I've been working on this one. We know, what we, we know what we know, but we don't know everything. And we see what we see, but we can't see everything. And love is what fills those gaps. Love, patience and kind, you know, th- th- those not demanding of its own way, doesn't rejoice about injustice. Like love is what fills the gap between what we know and what we don't know. What we see and what we can't see. That's love. That's what love is is meant to help create the, the margin in those places. So, so the question is, what does love require of me? The decision is that I will decide with the interest of other people in my mind. And this is, this is a difficult one. That as I make decisions in my life, especially the key big decisions, the decisions aren't always gonna be with me at the center and everything rotating around me, but rather I'm gonna make some decisions in my life that has the interest of other people in mind. I'm gonna think about how this impacts the people around me. Why? Be- because of love because this is what God asks of me. Um, a couple questions, and we're gonna sing one last song. Um, are there, now this one's a little bit rhetorical, but are there any major issues, stances, or perspective that you have changed your mind on in the last 20 years? 
Are you thankful? In other words, are you thankful that anyone had grace with you back when you knew nothing? I'm talking about myself there. <laughs> Aren't you grateful for that? For the grace? You know, one of the things that um, I often get nervous about is that we record my sermons. And so you can go back and listen to something really dumb that I said years ago. And I'm so thankful for the grace that you all had for me when I didn't know what I was talking about. Are there any, is, and, and so when you think about the changes that you've had, the reality is there's other people around us who need that same grace because they probably won't see things in 20 years like they see them today. They'll have some different perspective. Why are long-term, so this is a good question to wrestle with, why are long-term relationships and influence more important than simply making a point or being right in a given moment? Like how does love impact that? The way that we want to demand like our rightness. Number three, is there a way to be honest and transparent? And I sure hope so. Is there a way to be honest and transparent? It's becoming increasingly difficult in our world. Is there a way to be honest and transparent and at the same time humble and kind and respectful and loving with those that we might disagree with? Is there a way to do that? And if so, will we do that? Will, will we walk through that? And, and here's the reality. There are people all around us who have some different perspectives than we do. Like we're never gonna have the same perspective because we don't, we don't all stand at the same vantage. Like we, we just have different experiences in our life. So are there ways, are there ways to be respectful and kind and honest at the same time? Okay, so here are the, the, the five questions in case you missed them and they're in the journal. Five questions, am I being honest? What story do I wanna tell? Is there a tension that deserves my attention? What's the wise thing? And what does love require of me? And here's what we've been working on. So some of you are like, what is this, like how does this all fit together? Here's what we've been working on, even if you don't, didn't realize it. In, in Romans chapter 12, Paul is saying to us as Christians, those early Christians, and then to us by extension, he's saying to them, don't just copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Listen, we are being discipled, formed by something, and if we don't make intentional decisions, we're just being discipled and formed by the world around us. We're just going with the flow of everything around us. And, and what Paul is saying is, don't just go with the flow. Let God transform you into a new person. How does he do this? By changing the way you, you think. It starts here. And so maybe um, you've been thinking, oh, they're just like, he's just talking about random questions. No, 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 no. We've been trying to give God space in our minds to transform how we think. Because how we think determines the decisions we make, the direction of our lives, the story that will be told. I mean, I could go down that list. This hasn't been just a random list of questions. It's been about giving God space to change the way that we think. And then when we begin to step back and wrestle with some bigger questions, then we'll learn to know God's will for us, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Isn't that awesome? So I'm so glad we've been on this journey together. I hope it's been a challenge to you. I hope it's difficult. 
And I hope it's not just a bunch of questions you wrote down and then you forget about. I hope it's something you wrestle with with major decisions. I'm gonna invite you to stand and we're just gonna sing one last song that talks about um, God's love for this world. God, we are so grateful that you sent Jesus Christ for us and uh, he gave us the way and I pray that we would, we would begin to understand and wrestle with what love requires of us. And that we would walk that out in this world in Jesus' name. Amen.